a big loss. And what it does for us is open our heart so that it's raw and tender. With that, we can feel the pains of the world. And that become a continual source of our love and compassion for the suffering of the world. And that is the, the effect of the loss. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. Hello, I am just delighted to welcome Sam Yao to the My Fourth Act podcast. Sam Yao, and I want to get these words right, has reinvented his life several times. From being a six-month-old baby on a refugee boat, to a penniless student from a distant land, to the CEO of a billion-dollar corporation, to the chairman of the board of Esseland and iconic pioneering center for personal growth on the California coast. When his son Ryan killed himself in 2016, Sam retreated into seclusion. He has reemerged this year with a truly luminous book of poetry, Soul's Journey, and he has definitely entered the next act of his life. Welcome, Sam. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. And I I have many reasons for wanting to speak with you. And I want to be transparent. I have a brother who committed suicide. So I know how an event like that changes our lives forever and takes us into a different stage of our lives. So that part of the story is interesting to me. But not everybody emerges out of this kind of experience as a poet and writes a beautiful book of poetry that clearly connects to something inside of you that I assume was always there, but finally got expressed. So I hope we got to speak of that as well. I always like to start with the beginning and, and your biography is so curious. You say I, you were a six-month-old baby on a refugee boat. I'm assuming you don't remember being on that boat, but but what what stories did mom and dad tell you about you? You are refugees from China, is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Right. Yes, the the communists were coming to town, and our family had to flee the uh, the place in order to avoid prosecution. So we were on a boat, and the boat was the, the last boat that left without being intercepted by the communists. And so we just escaped narrowly. I was six months old, as you said. Yes. Uh, there's no memory recollection. The story, you know, was relayed to me by my parents. Yeah. There's something powerful about just escaping, just that part of the story 
already creates a dramatic beginning to one's life, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm wondering, when you were a young man growing up, before you came to the United States, what were your dreams about what you wanted to do with your life? Well, uh, even in my teenagers, I was most interested in exploring uh, life's uh, big question, uh, why we are here, what is the purpose and, and meaning of uh, living a life, and what is real, what is truth, beauty, and goodness, etc. So I was dissatisfied with the with the answer I got from my Christian church. And I carry one word from the church and there is love. And that's mm -hmm. where I went back again and again when I, uh, in a different position in my life. But I was also practical. So I took a combination major of economics and uh, business uh, at the University of Hong Kong. Worked for one year and then left for University of Chicago in the United States for my MBA. When you say you're practical, I, I, I hear that from so many people. I'm always curious. Did you get an MBA because that's what mom and dad wanted you to do? Because that's what a successful son does? Or, or did you on your own decide, I want to be practical and that's what I'm going to do? Well, that's my, that was my decision. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. My my parents did not influence me on this one. I like the way you said on this one. It sounds like they influenced you on some other things. Well, they are very uh, uh, devoted uh, Christians that mm -hmm. did affect me. You know, early part of my life, I was quite active in the church. Uh huh. Nice. Now, for some decades. You were a um, corporate CEO. You worked in, in different industries and in different environments. And if I understand your journey correctly, you, uh, you are what's often called a turnaround CEO, meaning you come in to fix stuff, to, to put things in order and help a business be successful. And then you didn't stick around forever. You went on somewhere else. Did I did I present that correctly? Yes, I, uh, I went through uh, four different industries. Okay, yeah. complete different industry. Uh, yeah, I was known as a turnaround guy, but I do not like that term. I consider myself more a strategic uh, strategist. Mm -hmm. Uh, repositioning uh, the company for success. That's how I look at myself. <clears throat> I like the challenge of going into a new industry and a new company and figuring out in a very short period of time, like three months, why the company is in the shape it is in. Uh, in terms of market leadership and financial performance, I enjoy identifying the trend where the market will be in three years and then position the company to be at the right place in the market to ride the wave, so as to speak. So over the year, I realized that I need only to know a very small subset of a strategic the, uh, answer to questions about a company. 
And then, and then I can grasp rather quickly the strength and weaknesses of the company, the changing dynamic of the marketplace, and develop the strategy that position the company to win and thrive. So I enjoyed doing that. And uh, I, it was really exciting for me that I could increase the value of a company uh, very, very quickly. Uh, like uh, the last company I worked full time, you know, I increased the valuation from 200 million to $1 billion in less than two years. So I love that. <laughs> well, well, here's, here's the part that gets me because I, you know, I'm, I'm a corporate coach. So I've coached a lot of people like you. So I understand that for some people, there's an excitement in doing that. But some of our listeners might go and think, God, that's what he finds exciting. That's what that's what turned him on. So this, besides making, making more money, if, if you go a le- level deeper, what what's the thing that really excited you? I get the well, money part. Yeah, I think it's, it's the change uh, that I can... I can I can make the changes happen with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I pay attention to the quality of the of the leadership and the company culture. Yeah, uh, that's how I turn around company. Uh, a culture I'm talking about a culture that support not only productivity but more importantly in in the kind of company I went into is uh, the culture of adaptability and innovations and my job is to motivate and guide the management team to be at their best it's very rewarding for me to see how people grow through challenging position and accomplish Mm -hmm. something they are very proud of and uh, make them successful uh, in what they chose to do so that's a great deal of satisfaction I, i consider that as an art of making changes, especially the more intangible part, like culture yeah. and people and leadership. I like the way you said art because you didn't call it a science. So <laughs> wh- why why is why is what's the art part of helping people be the best they can be and changing a culture? What's the art in that from your experience? Well, is an art. Precisely, people are complex mm-hmm. and they are different in their skills set and their personality. The power of the art is that you have to look at what you have on your hand and leverage their strength and motivate them. There's no fixed formula for that. Yeah. It's not a science. Is something that you have to uh, use your intuition. That's part of the art. Yeah. And, when you, and also, you know, you're looking at the future of the market. It's not the straightforward uh, linear uh, explanation. Uh, it's more uh, based on also your intuition after looking at a bunch of data and see the connection of the dots to form a com- more complete picture. As I'm listening to you, I'm also thinking of a word you mentioned when we started this conversation now, which is the word love. Mm-hmm. And, and I think leaders who truly love other human beings 
and are able to bring out the best in them. And all of the things you just described are more successful at leading businesses. So in my mind, I'm connecting that to to the the kind of love you were taught in the Christian church, even though the expression of it may have been really, really different, you know. Right. And then as a human being, we seek a love in in everything we do, even though it's not very explicit in the business environment. Somewhere along the way, as you are this successful corporate strategist, I'll call you that, you're a corporate strategist, you ended up getting involved with a place that I greatly admire that has a mythic reputation in in the personal transformation field. And that's Esalen. For the listeners who don't know it, that's spelled E-S-A-L-E-N. That's an iconic personal growth center. It's a beautiful spot on the California coast. It's in a dramatic, gorgeous setting. And for a while, you were the the chairman of the board at this iconic place. Tell us how you got involved with that, because it's not a natural evolution. So I'm curious. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a, a pretty big turn. Uh, I was at the peak of my career, and I decided that uh, I don't need to do the same thing again. I want to take a few years off and finally had the time to ponder the big questions about life and embark on a journey for personal and spiritual growth. And guess what? Uh, Esalen is just a logical place for me to go there with uh, with such a magical beauty and the nature mm-hmm. uh, and to pursue uh, my personal and spiritual growth. And I've been there quite a few times before people notice me. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, and uh, someone uh, you know talked to the board, uh, the founder, and said, the Sam I have some skill set to take advantage of." And so I was uh, invited uh, to join the board, and after a few years, uh, I became uh, the the chairman. Um, so that's the that's the story. Because. Esalen is a place where some amazing teachers go to teach and students go to learn. And you just said, well, you went there initially for your own own inner journey of discovering more meaning and connection to, to things. I'm going to keep it that general. When you think of the, the experiences you've had besides being on the chairman of the board, What's, what, what personal experiences stand out for you about being at Esalen? Well, I owe to Esalen, for one thing, to recover my body. Uh-huh. <laughs> what it meant is that I was living in my mind. I'm a thinker all the time. And I was not aware that my brain was carrying a body. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so I was kind of uh, a, a walking head, a walking brain, and uh, dragging my body along uh, as a support <laughs> for my for my brain. Uh, then I discover how important it is to be in my body because it contains so much wisdom 
And it's also a, a place for the soul to signal, to give me, to whisper to me, you know, uh, messages about my life and what I need to learn. So that's only one of the many. But, but I was really fascinated that uh, excellent play a major role of being a catalyst for the movement we call I am spiritual, but not religious. That's a big movement for many, many years in America. Now it's almost 30% of the people uh, either say, you know, I am uh, uh, spiritual, but not religious, or I'm spiritual, but I'm also uh, religious. And it has a significant impact on the society. Uh, and, and I love that part of the mission that Esalen has uh, accomplished. You told us that as a young boy, part of your preoccupation was to to want to understand more about the meaning of things, the meaning of life, our purpose. And then you found yourself in a place called Esalen where uh, you could explore some of those boyhood interests. Yes. And I'm going to ask you a big question right now, which is not fair, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. So what are some things you discovered in Esalen about purpose and meaning? Well, we are here in this lifetime to fully live every part of our being. That's body, mind, uh, emotion, and soul. That, that feeling of being whole and live fully in every aspect of ours is the, is the movement of you know, holistic wellness. That's a big part of what Aslan have been doing is to teach the world uh, how to live fully and how to be whole in new ways that's not available in the past. Uh, there's many, many new modality about the body, the integrations of the body-mind, and it became uh, mainstream and popular. Yes, you know, uh, in the last uh, 30 years, including bringing in the Eastern meditation tradition, out of which came the mindfulness movement in America. Yeah. And so, so uh, there's many things uh, Esalen has accomplished, which, is, uh, which are quite uh, very, very amazing. Um, so those are some of the aspects, but more. I appreciate you reminding our listeners that so many especially if you are a spiritual explorer, that yeah. so many of the things that you're exploring at some point were not mainstream. And a beautiful place like Esalen is a place that almost was an incubator that made it possible for those wisdoms to flourish and blossom and be shared more widely. Yes, I, I would say one, sometimes we call it, we call this uh, a seeker spirituality. Yeah. It's, it's a form of spirituality where, you know, you can examine all the uh, traditions, their, their wisdom, their teaching, their practices, and you find out which one resonates with you. Yeah. You can pick and choose and, and things that work for you. So you open up the whole spectrum of options for people to find a unique way to become spiritual. Yeah. Beautifully said. A word from your sponsor. 
that's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. Now, I do want to go to the day when your son, Ryan, killed himself. And you already know I had a similar experience in my life. So I remember where I was when I got the phone call. I remember who called me. I remember vividly how I reacted. I remember who I called. Take us to that moment. How did you find out that that your son, Ryan, killed himself? And describe that a little bit for us. What happened to you in that moment? I got a phone call from my daughter uh, who found the bodies. Mm -hmm. I called police and then drove to Ryan's home and I could not get inside. The ambulance and police cars uh, were around the house. Let me recite a very short poem, which we kind of Okay, it's called Only 27. Pains seep like lonely sorrow through your veins. You choose to end the life you were given. A bullet rips its way through your brain. You are only 27. I sit on the cold concrete curb, welling. Heaven above opens and pours her tears. In my heart, there enough for spilling for the rest of all my remaining years. There's a light that shines beyond the gate, a glow where peace and freedom can bacon. So many endless suffering escaped. There will now be no more tears in heaven. Deep down, I know you did not die. My eyes will look for you in the sky. So I developed the uh, habit of uh, looking into the sky to look, you know, to look at the cloud patterns for messages from Ryan. So I fell in love with the uh, with the forever shaped shifting clouds and wrote a poem about clouds, which is in my book. Thank you for reading that poem. When, when I read your 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 entire book, Soul's Journey, I shared this with you. I, I love all the many different facets of the human experience you go into. But the the section right after your son, Ryan, died is where I felt the immediate grief and the loss and the pain and and your exquisite expression of it. Now, I I don't want to analyze your poem, but as I listen to it right now, the word light stood out for me, the word at the gate, and the gate is open. So can you reflect on what light means to you and what the gate being open means to you? Well, light represent, actually, uh, represent the divine. And we all had this spark of divinity inside us. 
And, and people who are spiritual and help the world, we call them light worker. Part of my healing, of course, is to know with certainty that Ryan is much more alive now than ever in his living life on earth. So um, the gate, it just means that we're transitioning. Mm-hmm. So that, in, in terms of uh, the eternal soul, is illusionary. We're merely transitioned you know, back to our home. We could spend an hour talking about the word home <laughs> and what all of that means. So you just threw in a beautiful, big word. Let me ask this question. It's not a natural progression to grieve and then decide that you're going to write some poems and then the poems get published. Not everybody grieves by writing a book of poetry. And I'm, I, I'm asking this question because many listeners, we've all experienced grief and loss and we move through it differently. And then we may, we may get instincts to do certain things that we have never done before. So in that spirit, where did the impulse to write poetry come from, Sam? Okay, here's a story. Uh, one of the big change, actually, this is a major change. As Ryan was in the other realm, and I recognize that now he transitioned back to be a spirit. But I am also a spirit in the human clothes. So I asked myself a question. What if I live as a spirit or as a soul? You know, they're interchangeable in the context here. And uh, in the human clothes, a spirit human clothes Mm -hmm. rather than a human who has a soul. Now, this is an inversion of the priority. And, And basically, his death is like a hurricane. Okay. And, and uh, it, it left, uh, you know, a huge swath uh, of debris. And what I meant is that, uh, you know, I lost interest in a lot of things. And I say, okay, so I ask myself, so if I'm a soul, so tell me, what should I do now? And I get messages from different uh, sources that the way I'm going to heal, not just for myself, for other people, is in words. Mm-hmm. I was totally puzzled. That was a total surprise to me. And I say, okay, I don't understand what it is about, but <laughs> <laughs> let me see unfolding. Within three months, people came into my life. It's like dropping, you know, in parachute. You know, I I got uh, I got people who inspire me to write poetry. And then I got a teacher that came into my life, mm-hmm. uh, the best uh, a coach I had. And I have someone who read one poem of mine uh, and wanted to do original art to illustrate or to, uh, uh, to be inspired. Uh, yes. and, 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 then, and then I have a group of friends who just, you know, keep feeding back to me. So I was just, so I, I was, you know, going along with, uh, with what I was told, and then the evidence is so strong that uh, writing poetry is what I, what I was going to do. It's so clear. 
what I love about the story you just told is, or this is my interpretation of it, a whole bunch of angels showed up to nudge you into writing poetry. And I believe for all of us, the angels always show up, but often we're too busy to pay attention, right? And you were ready to notice them and to not fight them and to allow them to guide you. And that's the beauty of, I think, what you just described. Yeah, exactly. Uh, There's a lot of synchronicity. We have Mm -hmm. pay attention. Uh, and there's also direct inner voices. You know, your, your, your thought is speaking to you, but actually it's the whispering from the soul. And then you, you see, you know, you're coming into new events and people, and they all point you yeah. to that direction. Yes. But, but what I'm also hearing is I, I'm going back to when you were at Esalen. Yeah. That you just told us that at Esalen, you learned to reconnect with your body, which meant you you learned to listen to the whispers of the soul, yes. which allowed you to have the experience after Ryan's death. Yes, yes. Uh, and the voices not come not just coming in your thought. The, the soul's whispering include your body sensation and feeling, the whole body. So our body is amazing as an instrument for the divine to inform us what is right, what is wrong, whether it's a go, whether it's a no, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful way of receiving messages. You, you beautifully describe Ryan's journey as transitioning to another realm. Yeah. As I'm listening to you, I feel like Ryan's death also helped you transition into another realm. <laughs> Here on Earth, you're still on Earth, but you've yeah. been through your own transition. And yes. you're just emerging out of a, a time of, I said in the introduction, seclusion. If you had to describe in a narrative your transition, uh, describe your transition to us. What, what has it been like to be in this transition into a newly emerging Sam? Well, if you talk about the feeling of the transition, it, it's that there's a lot. Well, first, you have some doubt, but then... I've lost interest in everything else. So, you know, so I, I and, and there's a lot of joy and it become, it, it helped me to, to understand how, uh, how are we guided? You know, when we surrender ourselves to the highest part of us, that is our soul, that's a lot of guidance from different places. So there's a lot of joy and a lot of surprises. And some of the joy came from the surprises, it's like the feedback, of the, of the poetry from my uh, circle of friends. And uh, uh, my poetry also invited many new friends. I make so many new friends through this journey. So uh, when I looking back, it, it's just amazing. But one other thing I want to point out, sometimes, you know, event in our life, which, you know, a big loss. And what it does for us is open our heart so that it's raw and tender. With that, we can feel the pains of the world. And that become a continual source of our love and compassion for the suffering of the world. And that is the, the effect of the loss. And it, it opens up our heart. And by the same token, you open our mind and see the possibility of many new things that can come into our life. 
it's a huge transformation. How else? I mean, your heart was open through a what most people will call a tragic event, yeah. where life as you knew it was shattered. Mm-hmm. Use the metaphor of the hurricane and all the debris. And you're blessed to come out of it with a heart that is open. Um, some of our listeners may be listening to us, and so that's great. But I, they might go, I hope I don't have to wait for somebody to kill themselves for my heart to open. <laughs> so, and I don't mean that in a snippy kind of way, but if you had to give share some wisdom of guidance with any listeners who go, I, I, I love what Sam is saying. He's talking about hearing more wisdom being more guided, being open to it, opening the heart. How can other people get there in their own way? What kind of wisdom or guidance would you have? Well, I think you're right. I don't want to give the impression that we have to suffer like this to open our heart. We can open our heart, you know, as part of our spiritual practice. But this particular event I, my heart was open already, but I didn't know it was not that wide open. And for this one, you know, it's so huge because we're always building some protection for ourselves, okay? By, 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 by open a little bit, maybe a little bit more, okay? But event like this, it just, you know, swing it wide open. And it's not an easy experience because I could not hear the news of, you know, all the tragedy around the world, all the violence in the world, uh, but it gave me, you know, the ability to know, to, to, to be at the level of compassion and inclusion, to be, you know, big heart and big mind, and that also become a basis for my poetry. So I think this wide open heart, not everyone can take it. Uh, there's a limit to our to our ability to how much we are open because you know we have a nervous system which trying to protect us so yes. sometimes we think our, our heart is open but maybe just open a little bit but this one it just blew me away you know <laughs> so i may reveal your age you're seven you're 72 you're a former serial ceo you just published your first book of poetry And I don't think we always have to have wishes, dreams, aspirations for the future, but you have a whole bunch of life ahead of you. So as you think of the future for yourself or for people you love or the planet, what do you think of? For myself, I'm devoted to writing poetry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's my joy and, and that's my calling. And I will continue to do that. In fact, I try to simplify my life so that I can focus on doing that. Mm -hmm. And for the world, I think, you know, what we do, uh, when we open our heart, and every one of us has a responsibility to raise the awareness and consciousness, to look at the world and, and do our part to help the world to the world we live in to be more compassionate and inclusive. Because that the, this experience actually, you know, it, it's, it's about the unity. And in this 
why open I experience the unity of me with the whole universe and every sentient being and including the animal kingdom and the whole universe. And when we are in a state of unity, compassion is natural. Mm-hmm. There's not codified ethics. Uh, there's no need to attempt to do good. It just flows naturally because we are not separate. The separation is an illusion. And what does experience, the unity experience is remove that illusion of separation. So we feel the unity all the time. And I, I feel being feeling unity is the ultimate healing for us. This was spoken as 72-year-old Sam. And I remember we, we spoke about uh, younger Sam earlier, and he wanted to better understand the purpose and the meaning of life. In a way, you just answered that a little bit. Is there anything else that you would, if you could whisper, you talk about soul whispering. If you could whisper into young Sam's ear and give him some advice or guidance based on what you know now, what would you want him to know? Well, looking back, you know, I have very little regret about, you know, my career. And looking back, I always know love is the most important thing. Uh, but I was uh, very carried away in, in my career. Mm-hmm. So I would say just start to place love at the center of your being. Mm-hmm. And, and ask yourself, you know, in everything you do, are you doing out of, of love? And if you do, it will change your life. So we're going through a series of values and value changes. At a certain point of time, we all come back and say, you know, have I loved more? Mm-hmm. Uh, very few people at the deathbed and say, oh, have I worked more? You know, or I will be in the office more. So I did not spend enough children, uh, time with my children you know, in the early part of my career. And now I'm different and place love at the center of your life and seek to be, you know, to to your being, the quality of a being, rather than just identify what you do, identify who you are and place love at the center of your being. So how to know love more deeply and have it be the center is actually a wonderful invitation to for all of our fourth acts. And you're very much in yours. And there's so much beautiful wisdom that you've already shared with us. But as we get ready to close, would you honor us and just read one more of your poems? Yes. Okay, this poem is called Do not let anyone tell you to live someone else's life. Mm -hmm. Amen. Do not let anyone tell you to live someone else's life. You have the gift to co-create your special life with the divine. Let the spark in you shine. Live and dance like a unique spirit. 
Shape your inner world with quality that bring you delight. Live inside out. The outside world will coalesce into your design. Do not let anyone tell you to live someone else's life. Listen to your inner voice from your soul and let it guide you. Trust it. Living the authentic you will bring you freedom and joy. Claim it. Let the spark in you shine. Live and dance like a unique spirit. You are a soul incarnated in the human school to learn to love. You are frozen light that soon will take the soaring flight. Do not let anyone tell you to live someone else's life. Already connected to the source, turn it on and drink it in. Angels are always there to help. If you let your intuition align, let the spark in you shine. Live and dance like a unique spirit. You have been knocking at the door from the inside of your life. Turn around. You are perfect and totally lovable. Live it. Do not let anyone tell you to live someone else's life. Let a spark in you shine. Live and dance like a unique spirit. Yes. Sam. If any of our listeners want to find out more about you or your book of poetry, where should they go to find you? Well, my website is simply uh, Sam Yao Poetry. And, and Sam, you know, is S-A-M. Yao is Y-A-U, Poetry. So you, you can go to my website and all the poet, all the poem, the first book is there. You can read it for free. Or you can go to Amazon.com. And, uh, and purchase the you know, soul's journey. So those are the two ways. Uh, on my website, you can also comment and send me messages as well. Beautiful. Well, I thank you for your generosity of spirit and this generous conversation. And I, I look forward to your future poetry journey. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.